Hello, my name is Michael McLennan, and welcome to COVID Matters, the podcast produced by COVIDAID. In each episode, we speak to experts, including those with lived experience, about the key issues facing those affected by the pandemic. Isolation and loneliness have affected many of us, whether directly or through family and friends. For that reason, it felt important to be able to speak to Dr. Alexander Burton, who is a senior research fellow with the Department of Behavioural Science and Health at University College London. She's been working on studies that explore the impact of social isolation and health and well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is formed part of UCL's COVID-19 social study, a large-scale research study exploring the effects of the virus and social distancing measures on adults in the UK during the outbreak. It was fascinating to speak to her, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. And to start, it'd be great to know a bit about your own background and what the background was to the social study. Sure. Um, So I guess in my research before the pandemic, um, I'm particularly interested in how social support and social isolation impacts both our mental and physical well-being. So there's lots of evidence to suggest that, for example, loneliness, social isolation leads to, to worse health outcomes in people with both mental and physical health problems. So that's where my research background sort of was coming from. And then at the start of the pandemic, I was about to start a new role. So on the 1st of April 2020, um, I was about to start working on a clinical trial, which was exploring face-to-face singing groups for women with postnatal depression. So I was going to evaluate um, how that, that worked and what kind of mechanisms were helpful um, for women attending those groups. However, the pandemic hit and the study was put on hold. And obviously singing indoors is not something that's come back. Even now, I think we're only allowed to, to do community singing groups in groups of six or less. So it's really been impacted that that study that I was supposed to be working on. However, we've been trialing that online. So alongside that, as I started my new role, um, the COVID social study was launched by Dr. Daisy Fancourt at University College London. So we've been exploring the psychological and social impact of the pandemic. And that's included a survey with over 70,000 people in the UK, where they are asked um, weekly, and then it's gone to monthly, um, about their psychological well-being, um, their social lives, things around behaviours and compliance with guidelines, attitudes to vaccines and how they've been spending their time. So we've been tracking people since March 2020. And we can sort of see when things have happened, for example, new lockdowns have come in or when rules have changed or shifted, we can see whether that sort of impacts people's mental health and well-being. But my specific role, I guess, has been exploring in a bit more detail using qualitative interviews, sort of how and why people's mental health has been impacted during this time. So we've been doing one-to-one remote interviews with different groups of people. And we sort of thought about picking people who we think might have been particularly socially isolated or had particular mental health problems during this time. So we've spoken to people with long term health conditions, people with mental health conditions and then people whose lives have probably been very disrupted. So parents with young children, for example, key workers and young adults. So that's kind of work that I've been doing for the past year. We've spoken to about 280 people so far in more depth in these one-to-one interviews. 
So how has people's mental health been impacted? So we're finding that people's mental health has been impacted predominantly sort of associated with different characteristics. So people's age, their health, their living situations, their working situations are really sort of feeding into their experiences of the pandemic and and their mental health and well-being. So I guess, for example, those with long-term health conditions who at the start of the pandemic were told to shield, um, you know, there was a lot of fear and anxiety related to the potential health consequences of catching COVID. And then I think as time went on, the sort of social isolation and not being able to see family and friends has fed into sort of poorer well-being. And that's been quite similar among people with mental health conditions as well, that especially those that live alone um, have been feeling particularly socially isolated during this time. I guess young people, we've spoken to young adults, they've not been as anxious about the health consequences of COVID um, and their main concerns have really centred around the huge disruptions that they've um, had to deal with to their social lives, to their education. Um, They told us about missing out on key milestones, so finishing school, starting university, and just a real uncertainty about what the future holds for them, particularly around jobs and education. Um, So I guess the worries are different depending on people's circumstances and experiences. I think for parents of young children, unsurprisingly, there was a complete loss of routine at the beginning when when children were at home and a lot of guilt and a lot of stress around not being able to fulfil multiple roles. And suddenly all of these roles are under one roof. You're a teacher, you're a parent, you're a partner, you're cleaning the house, you're trying to work, you're trying to cook for the family um, and it becomes exhausting. Um, And I think, again, not knowing when things will return to some level of normality really fed into that. And of course, lone parents, um, those experiences were heightened for for lone parents. I think one of the most difficult groups we've interviewed, not, not in terms of difficult groups, but difficult experiences we've encountered is among non healthcare key workers. Um, And it's a a voice that we haven't heard a great deal of. I think there've been times in the pandemic when the media have reported on it, but I think, you know, they've continued to work through some very uncertain periods. They've told us they haven't felt supported by, they haven't felt supported by their organisations in terms of recognition for the work that they've been doing, um, in terms of safety. They felt disempowered and undervalued. I think we had clap for carers, but it was for health professionals and mm-hmm. I think people felt very forgotten. And I think just feeling very vulnerable to bring in the virus home, especially if they were living with vulnerable uh, family members. Um, it's been a huge source of fear throughout the pandemic for people. And we had some quite traumatic experiences of of people sleeping in separate rooms, for example, to protect partners or or family members. Um, And in one case, I think we even had a bus driver say that he'd had to move out of his family home to protect his partner. So obviously feelings of loneliness and, you know, when is this going to end? So I guess at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a sense of everybody's being affected. And I think for some people, it's almost like we're all in it together. But I guess your work then illustrates similarities, but then also a way in which you know, certain groups have been more affected than others. Has there been 
particular groups that you think have been disproportionately impacted? Yeah, so I think I think the younger adults have been disproportionately impacted in terms of their mental health. And as I say, those, those key workers. I think the older adults that we spoke to seemed to be doing better. It felt that they were more resilient and and they had used coping strategies that they'd used from previous experiences to, to sort of lean back on those those strategies that they might have used before when they've had periods of illness or times of uncertainty. So yes, definitely. I think, and even within our groups, I think we've, we see different experiences, like I say, with the learned parents having particularly difficult times. Um, And at the moment we haven't got the results yet, but we are focusing more on, I guess, vulnerable groups. So people experiencing financial difficulties um, homelessness, drug and alcohol use, just to see how services have been impacted as well. Um, so that's another sort of area of work that we're we're looking at at the moment. For me, it's one of the interesting things because when you're speaking about uh, young people, I think for me, I mean, obviously it's always subjective, but it seems like there's been more of a narrative that they have actually been quite resilient. The disease doesn't impact them as much, and therefore they're not not as bothered. Maybe it could be one word, but I guess that's not what you found then. No, I, I think obviously they weren't as bothered about the health consequences to themselves, but there were obviously concerns about yeah bringing the virus home to vulnerable family members and actually the disruption that their lives have, have had it has been in other, other areas such as social lives and and sort of work and and we're also currently interviewing young carers as well just to sort of expand that group and just how everything just suddenly falls into the home and there are no outlets if people are struggling so I think I think now things are opening up and we're sort of I think young people are sort of seen as the spreaders and you know they're they're going out and socializing but the other side of that story is that some young people feel very anxious about socialising and going back into the real world after having this time where they've just been on Zoom or Facebook or talking to friends online. It, they're suddenly feeling quite anxious about reintegrating in a way and, and returning to face-to-face communications. But that's not about the virus. It's more about social anxiety and some young people, for example, say, I've forgotten how to have a conversation. I'm worried about um, really going out again and socialising. So I think it's a very mixed story for the young adults. For somebody whose background was in looking at people with isolation and, and loneliness and that side of things, then uh, for people who are already experiencing that, how, how have they found it? It's kind of an odd situation in a sense where suddenly everybody's plunged in this, into a situation that some people have been experiencing for many years. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's exacerbated it because even I think people who live alone, for example, they sort of told us that obviously their lives were being even restricted even further because the things that they would normally do had just disappeared. So people were often members of groups or sort of would see people have physical contact outside of the home and suddenly all of that disappeared. So I think it was exacerbated. But then for others, I guess there was that sense of, well, finally, you know, everyone's in the same situation and 
they can understand or empathize perhaps with my situation and how I'm feeling and I think that's one of the things that's come out of this is maybe more of an awareness of of mental health and, and isolation among the media among people just having these conversations it's definitely raised the awareness of these issues further in terms of the protective factors and coping strategies what have you found people have been using I suppose that's another side of of the study that has really come out strongly. So actually some people have had improved mental health during this time. Um, And I think going forward, it's going to be important to learn from those experiences as well. So I think just having that chance to slow down, focus more on things that they enjoy doing, but maybe didn't have time to do before, spending time with family, um, I think some people with mental health conditions told us that they felt less accountable to others. They felt less pressure to conform to social norms. Um, so for some people, it, it did feel quite protective. Um, also, I guess for some people, there was more flexibility in how they live their lives, more opportunities to, to organise their lives in different ways rather than commuting to work being at work, particularly for people who were able to work from home. And I think just reconnecting with old friends and engaging more with neighbours and with local communities. Like you said, I think, you know, there was this sense among some groups that everyone was in it together and supporting each other. So doing some volunteering, supporting people who needed essential items or medications, for example, all of that came out um, in, in the interviews. And I guess, yeah, just engaging in hobbies and activities um, more or sort of learning new things and, and just sort of trying new things out have, has really helped people um, to cope. And then how have you found things to be shifting over the past few months as we enter the summertime? It's obviously right now a very complex situation in a number of ways. Yeah. So I guess the survey is picking that up more and we report every sort at the end of every month. But with the interviews, because they're one off, it's quite difficult to sort of track changes. But the interviews that we're doing now are quite reflective, I guess. Um, obviously we've interviewed people when they're in the thick of it, when they're in a lockdown, when they're in this strange tiered situation where their community is in tier three, but the community next door is in tier two. So I think now people are still quite reflective of all those moments and they're still quite, I don't know, they can still sort of talk about how it was, but I think there might be a little bit of fear about what happens next and how things it's still quite uncertain for a lot of people, even with the vaccine. I think people are still a little bit worried and not really sure whether this is the right path to be going down. But as I say, I think when we when we have the next results of the survey, it'll be interesting to see now we've had these new announcements, whether mental health has changed, whether trust in government has changed. So that's to be reported on. In terms of the findings, where and to whom have you been presenting them? Yeah, so we've been feeding into government um, policy meetings. We've been speaking to different sort of organisations, charities. We, I personally have been, I've spoken to um, the Campaign to End Loneliness, for example, on some of the findings. 
we report to Public Health England as well um, on some of the findings. So we're really trying to feed into the sort of strategy, the government strategies, uh, particularly around mental health and, and supporting people's mental health throughout this. And have there been results that have... I guess, surprise some of those people that you've been speaking to or, uh, you know, and also yourself? I guess, I think that there's been perhaps more resilience than among some groups than perhaps we were expecting. I think, I think I've been surprised at the level of some people's comfort in in some of the situations that we found ourselves in. And like I say, not having this social pressure, not feeling pressured to to do things just to go out and and socialize and almost having sort of yeah a break from very busy lives I think has been something that maybe surprised me trying to think if there's anything else it's quite difficult when you're in the whole (laughs) in the midst of the data collection I think to sort of sit sort of reflect on your own feelings about it yeah and yeah and in terms of like um positive changes that you'd hope to see going forward I guess you answered that in a sense with the opening up of uh, people to be able to speak about mental health issues and that side of things Mm, definitely I think the young adults in particular that we spoke to had um, they told us that they felt much more open in speaking about their mental health and well-being to family to friends that they hadn't spoken to about these kind of issues before um and i think that's a real positive from this that if it can open up conversations and it can open up um people accessing more support then i think that's definitely something we should continue as we go forward the only problem then is though that we need services um resources and funding for much needed mental health support and services as we go forward um, if people are more likely to seek this out now. So I think that's definitely something we need to continue. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the ongoing nature of the study, I guess this might be a hard question to answer, but is there an end date in mind or uh, is there a way in which it will continue? I think originally we had planned to finish the data collection this spring because we'd hoped that things might have changed and you know we we would be at the point of sort of reflecting on our findings but I think the plan is to carry on actually till next March with the survey um, and the interviews that we're carrying on with will be done hopefully by the autumn and then I guess it's going to be a case of really building on what happens next and you know what we've found how can we influence sort of responses services support because I think a lot of services may have disappeared or not been able to open up again in the same way that they were before. So it's thinking about how we support those kind of decisions and and those kind of services um, for mental health going forward. I appreciate this is uh, potentially also a difficult question when you're in the weeds of things, but if you were to think about in five or 10 years time, looking back on this, is there an aim or outcome or something that you would really hope to take from the work that the study and yourself have been doing? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's about that raised awareness. And I think it's just to, to get that message out that, you know, different groups of people continue to be impacted by this in different ways. And, uh, you know, it, 
it's there hasn't been an equal experience you know among the uh, different groups of people so i think it's you know as a society how do we address some of the inequalities that that we've sort of uncovered um looking at how people have been treated or how they've experienced this pandemic i think we need to really keep that on the agenda as we as we go forward and i think just thinking about so the social isolation element i guess just keeping that on the agenda as well and and thinking about if how you know how do we make sure people aren't lonely they are being connected with other people that we're able to signpost to say community groups or volunteering activities and have these kind of organizations and support groups in in our our local communities um and just be more mindful of our wider social networks as well i guess and and of people who might be struggling, who we haven't heard from in a while. Um, I think that's a really clear message to, to sort of take forward, given how we've all been affected by this. And then finally, I know that there's still studies looking for more participants. So uh, how can people get involved and where can they find more information? So we have a website, which is www.covidsocialstudy.org. And on there, you can click on, there's a, a join study link. Um, and that has all the information and ways that you can contact us um, if you would like to take part in an interview. Um, so we're particularly interested in speaking to people who are young carers. Um, as I said, people who've experienced financial difficulties, homelessness or drug or alcohol use. Um, during the pandemic. So all of the information is, is on the website. Thanks so much to Dr. Burton for speaking to us. If you want to find out more about UCL's COVID-19 social study and the work that she's been doing, then you can visit covidsocialstudy.org. That is covidsocialstudy.org. And there you can read and see more about their results, sign up to their regular newsletter, and look at how you can join the study. If you haven't heard of COVID-Aid, we are the UK's new national COVID-19 charity, here to support everybody who's been significantly affected throughout the pandemic. Uh, We would love to have you as part of our community, so if you want to find out more, you can visit us at covidaidcharity.org. That is covidaidcharity.org. And you can also find us on social media at covidaidcharity. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode soon. And until then, please take care.